Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No this is a political vendetta. Mueller, to me, was the final authority on everything Trump. I've read the transcript for myself. I made up my own mind. Volker, the special envoy, said there was no quid pro quo. Sunderland has changed his testimony to say he presumes there was. What I can tell you about the Trump policy toward the Ukraine, it was incoherent. Talk to the average person. Ask the next 100 people who come in here if they care about this impeachment process. And they will tell you, almost to a person, that they do because they find it to be a charade. It's an absolute sham. No matter what, no matter who ends up testifying, whether it's behind closed doors or in public, the fact won't uh, change that the president did nothing wrong. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. You know, today I want to try something different, something kinder and more compassionate, like a kind of Trumpcast meta meditation, like Pema Chodron. Let's give President Donald Trump the benefit of the doubt. New reports say, yes, that he asked the Attorney General of the United States, Bill Barr, to flamboyantly and preposterously lie and say what's patently untrue, that there was no quid pro quo in his interactions with Ukraine. Okay. I just say we blow past this whole linear, oppressive Western narrative and get compassionate and look to Trump's character Look through the pale, grim folds of his eyes into those porcine little balls and ask, would that man ask a lawyer to lie for him? I mean, a broken old cognitively impaired autocrat racist grandpa who raped E.G. and Carol? Would he ask a lawyer to lie for him? (sighs) You know what? After that refreshing moment of mindfulness and a gentle, loving review of past lion lawyers like Cohen, Gann, Giuliani, and Barr, I'm going to say yes. Yes, I think he asked Barr to lie. And Barr said, no, we're told. But Barr's lies are piling up, and rejecting this one invitation to mendacity does not make up for his nation-compromising lies so far. Maybe Barr, with his fancy background in institutionalism, just didn't listen to two-bit coolie lawyer Michael Cohen. But I did, and he should have. Say it with me, like a mantra, while you're in Lotus. Never lie for Mr. Trump. My guest today is Ross Garber, Trumpcast's favorite contrarian and America's preeminent impeachment lawyer. There's no one better to test wits with. He's the guy who says Trump's not over till he's over, and it's all going to be a lot longer haul than we think. But I'm going to give Ross a run for his money because I'm nothing if not an overzealous and unschooled prosecutor. And to the naked eye, these last 10 days have looked bleak for Mr. Trump. I'll be back with Ross in just a minute. But first, something I'm really excited about. You just got to join the Women of Slate, November 20th. That's just a couple weeks off, 7 p.m. at the Bell House in Brooklyn. It's 149 7th Street in Brooklyn, in case you're taking notes. Let Slate Woman Splain the election to you. Join our amazing roster of women journalists, the colleagues I live for. They're going to do a deep 
deep swan dive into the state of the election, followed by the ultimate debate watch party. Christina Cotarucci, Julie Craven, Ashley Feinberg, Mary Harris, Dahlia Lithwick, Nicole Perkins, and me, Virginia Heffernan, will explain the ups and downs of the primary, shed light on the candidates, their policies, and their media coverage. Visit slate.com slash live for tickets. Slate Plus members get a discount. Go to slate.com slash live for tickets to the women of Slate. Ross, welcome back to Trumpcast. It is good to be here. So just to provide some backstory so everyone knows the dramatis persona here of our duet, I am almost always coming to you saying, well, we really got Trump this time. There's no way he can slip the knot. And you say, hold your horses. Yeah, I'm the reasonable one. Yeah. I, yeah <laughs> the reasonable exactly. one. But I am the passionate one. I am passionate. I am crazy passionate about being reasonable. Oh, Well, okay. That still means that I call you buzzkill, but I like to test my wits against you. Who doesn't like to sit with Ellie Honig or Usher Wangapa and just express your prosecutorial zeal? But if you're really, as you say, in it to get to the truth, to try to understand what's happening, it's nice to have someone who provides some dynamic tension like you. Yeah, I, lo- I love those guys. I love you. I-, I hate to see you guys disappointed. I don't want to see that. <laughs> I just, yeah. So there's a couple things. One is the last time you were on, believe it or not, I think I was about to watch, we were all about to watch Robert Mueller testify. And you thought I might get be getting a big screen TV and writing all, over all my pals. And I was. I don't even know what you thought of that Mueller performance. I thought it was sort of, I think what what we previewed, it it went nowhere, right? I mean, it, we, we knew... We knew the most that he would say because it was all in his long, extensive report. And then I think we pretty much knew that he wouldn't say everything that was in that report and definitely wouldn't say much of anything beyond that report. So he came in, he did his thing, and uh, and and so that happened. And I think most people have already forgotten about it. BuzzFeed has not forgotten about it. Jason Leopold, America's favorite FOIA filer, managed with the help of others to pressure the government into turning over some of the documents or maybe even a huge amount of the documents from the Mueller investigation, but at this crazy slow pace. So I hope we've all marked our calendars that there's a document dump expected the first of every month indefinitely to show us what Mueller and his team may have either been unable or unwilling to include in the Mueller report. And some of it, that stuff, makes me think the thing that everyone was afraid to say until Judge Sugarman broke the silence, that Mueller may have missed his chance at a lot of this. Well, he drew his mandate very, very narrow. He clearly wanted to kind of get in, get out, and let the country get on with its business. Mm-hmm. And and so I think is is going to be susceptible to that kind of criticism that he, you know, he just looked at sort of very, very narrow things, may have gotten other leads and either didn't follow up on them or sent them off to the SDNY or, or elsewhere. I think that that it, we may see a lot of that. That sort of sets up the other massive development that we've had since you and I formally talked on the show, which is Ukraine and the transcript, l'affaire Ukraine, as Ben Wittes says to say it. But if that's hard. I'm just going to call it the Ukraine call. Yeah, I think we got to stop speaking all stop of the, the French, the French, and mostly stop the Latin, the, the whole quid pro quo with you know Donald Trump speaking Latin and other people <laughs> speak. We, yeah, let's let's just do it in English. What do we call it? Extortion, blackmail. 
or this for that or exchange or whatever it is. But yeah, yeah, quid pro quo. None of us should be speaking Latin. But you know what? I think the French and Latin also on the other side, we're making an effort to dignify this bullshit. If we don't call it that, we end up having to face what it really is, which is just, I don't know, do people say shit show? Anyway, carrying on without quid pro quo, where the rest of us, with our non-jaundiced eye, our American hopefulness, see the Ukraine, even the edited transcript, look at that and say, this is a smoking gun. You wouldn't even call a smoking gun a smoking gun if you saw it. You look at the transcript and see what? I would totally call a smoking gun a smoking gun if I saw it. And and I, I think the Ukraine stuff looks awful. I think it looks awful. I, I think in particular, it it is it is hard to justify, explain, or even understand what Rudy Giuliani was doing and to characterize that as as appropriate in any way. And so um no on on Ukraine, you know, we've got public hearings starting next week. We're starting to see transcripts from the committee come out. And I'm very interested to kind of see what comes out of the, all of that. And what we still haven't heard is any sort of coherent, cogent, consistent White House Trump explanation for what's going on. So with Ukraine, I see some very potentially troubling stuff. But I'm also feeling like we haven't seen everything that there is to see. And we know that's the case because there's been a bunch of testimony that's been taken in private that we haven't seen. Mm -hmm. And we've got a bunch of witnesses who haven't shown up. And so I think there's a lot of stuff that may potentially matter that we just don't know. And so I'm not I'm not ready to kind of skip ahead to the last chapter and the last page and say, I know what the book's about. The transcript was the. Well, the whistleblower, Michigas, or the, whether we were going to ever hear from him, someone has assured us that it's a him. And then they'll release the transcript. But obviously, there's been so much since. And the transcript was seen as so innocuous. The edited notes on the call or whatever we call it, memo, was seen as so exonerating or at least benign that the president at the unsuccessful rally that he did stumping for his candidate in as Louisiana governor, he had people behind him wear T-shirts that said, read the transcript. I mean, not exactly a kitchen table issue that all Kentuckians are thinking about all the time. Who reads the quote transcript and who doesn't? But, you know, just to dial back at least a few days, I think Trump or someone around him was advising him that that transcript, which we now know to be severely edited, closed the case for him. Close the case how? That if you read the transcript, you'll see there was, quote, no, this for that. Oh, the, the, yeah. Remember, that's what, the, I mean, that's why they released it. It was like the weird Don Jr. move of releasing his, if it's what you say, I love it emails. And somehow if it comes from you or if it doesn't say, would you like to do a quid pro quo, said Donald Trump, then it's going to let him off the hook. And he so much thinks that, or at least that's all he has right now, is the transcript, which many of us thought to be damning, let alone what came after. But he thinks that it will affect even his base. The Red Hats, the ralliers, will be able to walk around with, instead of hang the bitch t-shirts, the slightly maybe less uh, inspiring and heart-pumping slogan, Read the transcript. Read the transcript. Yeah. And, and I think the thought on that is, you know, if you read the transcript, he doesn't say quid pro quo in the transcript. Right. So there's that. In fact, I've read the transcript. There is no Latin at all in the transcript. <laughs> he does say, we need to ask a few a favor, though, yeah. quid pro, though. 
But that's right. That's English. As we all know, yep. for bribery, you need a quid pro quo, which presumably <laughs> means you need to say it in Latin. And there is no Latin in that transcript. That's right. The, it's if, close. Right? <laughs> Would you argue that? No, I'm kidding. But you do, as a thinking with your impeachment defense attorney cap on, you probably looked at the transcript and thought somebody with some legal or a PR skills, thought this was exonerating or somehow extenuating or maybe even a perfect phone call, like the president said. And if so, why? And if so, does this make it harder for Schiff and so forth? Again, thinking just of the transcript. Would you have been happy to see that transcript and say, let's just get that out there? And because he doesn't say quid pro quo or because of somehow the way it's phrased, we can uh, use this to our benefit. So number one, it was smart to get it out there because there were so many people who knew about this call. There were so many people who were on the call that it would have been impossible to keep the substance of that call quiet. And and as we've seen, you know, we've, we've seen a witness testify about the content of that call. So it made sense to just get the transcript out to to kind of deal with that issue. Then second, I think Trump's thought is, well, again, the, you know, the transcript doesn't have that explicit, you know, this for that. It doesn't say, I need you to do this in exchange for aid. It doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and third, and I think this is going to wind up potentially being the key. I think where the White House winds up on this, where Trump winds up on this, is that he reasonably thought that corruption in Ukraine was a big deal and was a big enough deal to insist that corruption be addressed before aid got paid. And I think what Trump is going to say is emblematic of that Mm -hmm. corruption, emblematic of it. Two things. Number one, that Joe Biden, then the vice president, would hold up aid to Ukraine in exchange for the prosecutor that's investigating his son's company being fired. I think Trump is going to say that he had information to suggest that that might be true and he wanted that looked at. And that second, that the notion that Ukraine potentially meddled in the 2016 election Mm -hmm. was potentially serious enough to insist that that be looked at before aid be released, putting aside, putting Mm -hmm. aside whether those, you know, two things in particular are true. I think where the White House is going to wind up is that Trump believed those were true and maybe even justifiably believed that they were true. Number one, because uh, people told him, people around him told him that. And number two, because no one told him uh, to not engage in this action and and that it's the second part of that that i am am very very interested in because we haven't heard that any senior level officials said hey mr president sir you can't do this it's not okay well wait a second the diplomats who tested including sondland including the whistleblower who at least heard about the call and yavanovich even though she wasn't on the call saw this in the offing and were quite worried about it Yeah, they were quite worried about it. And we've heard that John Bolton, the national security Mm -hmm. advisor, was alarmed by it. The question is, did anybody tell Trump? And I'm thinking it's almost like an advice of counsel defense. Mm. I know this is a dangerous place to be, but Mm -hmm. I try to like get inside of Trump's head. Yeah. It's scary in there, but I but I want to be in there. Only short periods and bring mace. Yeah. To have a sense of what's what is potentially going on? And so I imagine, you know, you're Trump and people are telling you about this corruption involving Biden. 
And by people, you mean speaking of advice of counsel? Oh, geez, yeah. You mean Rudy Giuliani? And that's where the whole thought experiment runs into a little bit of a speed bump. Right. The speed bump being Rudy, and that's why when we started, I was saying I, I have a hard time figuring out any justification for what Rudy was up to in all of this. But if you're Trump, you got Rudy, America's mayor, telling you all of these things. And maybe there are others telling you, but you've at least got Rudy telling you about all these things because Rudy's around, running around telling everybody about all these things. Yep. He's telling Fox News. He's telling everybody who will listen. So we can assume probably safely that he's also telling Trump about these things. Mm -hmm. So you're Trump and you're getting all this information from you know, America's mayor, Rudy, who's out looking for corruption all over the, the world. And he's finding it, he, he says in Ukraine, in ways that potentially affect U.S. interests. And you're hearing about all of this. And you propose to deal with it in certain ways involving meetings with the president of Ukraine and U.S. aid to Ukraine. And my question is, and we don't know the answer, is did anybody tell you it's not okay to do that? Mm -hmm. And did anybody tell you in particular, getting back to Rudy, because I think Rudy's a big issue in all this. Mm -hmm. Hey, Mr. President, you cannot have Rudy, your personal lawyer, mm -hmm. doing U.S. foreign policy. It is not okay. Okay. It is not okay to do. Now, we know, though, that people are putting Rudy together with Ukrainian officials. Mm -hmm. So people are, are implementing what kind of Rudy's role. And we've heard from a witness that, you know, the issue was raised with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Mike Pompeo rolled his eyes. We've been told that people like some of the leader ex-cabinet and ex-advisors along the way, like I remember Gary Cohn saying he did say, Mr. President, that's against the law. And some of the anonymous senior White House officials, you know, anonymous is coming out with his or her book about the internal soft coup or whatever it was who tried to curb Trump's impulses. But what did that look like? And what does it have to look like in order to count as apprising him of the dangers? Right. Yeah. So he, at the end, my end question mm -hmm. is about impeachment is, you know, is it treason, bribery, or another high crime and misdemeanor that justifies uh, having Trump being the first U.S. president in history removed from office. That's my end question. And so to get there, the issue is, well, if Trump legitimately thought that what he was doing was appropriate and furthered U.S. policy, mm -hmm. you know, national interests. And right. of course, obviously, there might be some collateral uh, benefit to, yeah. to his campaign. Yep, sure. But if he legitimately thought that there was some U.S. interest at stake, I think then it becomes very hard to justify removing him from office. Oh, my God. But as you know, it is impossible. Everybody, the Ukraine military aid as a defense between Putin's obviously imperial ambitions in Crimea, in the war with Ukraine, and beyond with Europe and NATO makes it, it's been in our interest, it's a, it's a bedrock, as we keep hearing from Vindman and Taylor of U.S. foreign policy in the region, that we supply them in their defense against Russian incursions. And, yeah, they, the, yeah, and, yeah. The, and the only interest served by withholding defense, making them somehow 
take the fall for Russian interference in the election and also contradict the findings of our own intelligence, as Barr reportedly is trying to get UK intelligence to do, do damage to our own intelligence so that they can discredit the Mueller report and to have sanctions relief because of the sanctions brought up when the Russians did interfere in our election. That's not a question. And all those things look so Kremlin to me. It's like they have Kremlin etched on every page. And to make the case that that was in our national interest seems impossible. So a couple of things. Number one is I agree with you on the policy issue. Number two, I also think that what happened here was inappropriate. And if I were advising Trump, I would tell him he couldn't do it. Let's make those two assumptions. Right. The issue, though, is whether Trump thought withholding aid, not for a long time, but for a short period in order to accomplish some national objective, mm-hmm. a la, by the way, you know, Joe Biden, right? The Obama administration through Vice President Biden threatened to withhold aid to Ukraine unless certain domestic things happened. Mm -hmm. And that was successful. And so I, again, could I envision a scenario where if there were some national interest at stake, Mm -hmm. that threatening to withhold aid to advance that national interest might be appropriate? Mm -hmm. Sure. And yes, you and I agree on what the national interest is, but neither one of us are, or at least in my case, will ever be president of the United States. And, you know, under the Constitution, it is the president who uh, who does U.S. diplomacy. Mm-hmm. So it is great that you and I and Vindman and, you know, maybe lots and lots of others disagree mm-hmm. with, with the president's foreign policy. But it is up to the president to affect foreign policy. He can have advisors, but, you know, we get opinions. He he actually makes the decision. Well, I mean, then we're back into the classic, you know, kind of bar tautology or the tautology that has come down to the defense, come to his defense every time, which is when the president does it, it's not a crime. It's not against our national interests. It's oh, not no. quid pro quo. And no, I wouldn't uh, say that, Virginia. The mm. question is, I think the fundamental question is, was Trump motivated by national interests, U.S. national interests, or was he motivated solely by personal and partisan political interests? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's where I come out. Personal, on, partisan, on and also possibly beholden to a hostile foreign power that he will not be named. Yeah, well, that's that's why I clarified U.S. national interests. Got it. And he has tried to make it clear, and some in his base seem to agree, that Russia's interests and American interests, or at least Putin's interests and Trump's interests, are aligned. I mean, he hasn't been especially shy about that, at least that there's some friendship he's forming, which makes everybody, every sane person very squeamish, but seems to interest the base and maybe even Moscow Mitch. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Speaking of Congress, I'm surprised, and maybe you have sort of an, an analogy to this in your, in your past practice, but that 
um, defiance of Congress in withholding support and and weapons briefly from Ukraine, that that didn't bother the lions of the Senate. Yeah, we don't know whether they were bothered very much. Again, it, I, I think what we're going to be hearing over the next few weeks is that the the pause on aid was so short and ultimately wound up uh, coming through that there wasn't time enough to get anybody wound up. And and the second thing and, and, and thing that I'm very interested in knowing is what we're going to find out about the reason why the aid was ultimately released, what information we're going to get about that. Mm. The White House says, hey, look, everybody calm down. The aid went through. Everybody relax. And in fact, Ukraine didn't even know there was a, you know any sort of real condition on the aid, which you know we're hearing may not be really the case. But I think we're probably going to learn more about what was going on inside the White House and what motivated the decision to release the aid ultimately. Well, then he'd moved on. I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but the far-right figure Zhirinovsky in Russia, right after the election of Donald Trump, said openly, well, now we can uh, start to pursue our interests in Ukraine and Syria. And that, you know, the under- it's like Ukraine and Syria are like Rumpelstiltskin's first child. When he- they come back to Trump the first time, okay, maybe he has to appear in Helsinki to pay back Putin. But now we've got to, and now it's coming time for the end of your first term, and what we want is Syria and Ukraine. And he did those two things in rapid succession. I mean, if he restored he restored support to Ukraine, and then a second later got on the phone a third one, seems to me. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds, uh, <laughs> I, I could imagine reading about that in, in Seth Abramson's Twitter. Feed, I knew maybe. you were going to say something like that. <laughs> By the way, okay, if by Seth Abramson, you mean the person who made no mistakes in his last two books, which you haven't read, or if by Seth Abramson, you mean your weird projection of Seth Abramson as someone who makes up stories, I'm not sure. But he did, in rapid succession, you know, do these, like, have these sketchy exchanges with Zelensky and Erdogan. I'm just putting it out there. I'm just putting it out there. But everybody already knows that. I want to get to what you think of Schiff. So you always, you know, because you're thinking of the defense, you're you're probably I'm sizing both sides. Right. Okay. But yeah, you're sizing up. You're 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 taking the measure of quote both sides. If you had to show down with Schiff, what do you think his strengths and weaknesses are? It depends on the stage. So I, I, I was very critical about how Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler handled yeah. the, the, you know, Mueller non-investigation. I think he, he got an F for that. I was very complimentary of how Chairman Schiff and am complimentary of Chairman Schiff's handling of the investigation related to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's he, he's made some very smart moves, and I think he's gotten some witnesses to talk who we didn't expect necessarily mm-hmm. to talk, mm-hmm. and he's gotten some good information. I mean, we haven't heard, you know, I'm only going on Trump, you know, because Trump thinks about optics more than the law, but I'm only going on the the T-shirts in Ka- Kentucky, but they were quite visible, saying, read the transcript. Every now and then he says hoax. He says, do nothing, Democrats. But he has done nothing to successfully discredit or even really address the testimony of 
Alexander Vindman, Gordon Sondland, Taylor, and so forth, and Yavanovich. And these people, I don't know if he understands, but they've become really dominant voices since their their opening statements always seem to leak and they're very good witnesses and they're in our in the heads of people you know Schiff has lined them up and Trump has nothing to say except read the transcript which many of us thought was damning yeah so here's what i think is going on as we've seen the white house and the trump camp has not really put out much of a defense at all on the substance And I think the concern in the White House uh, and on Team Trump is that they don't know all the facts. And there's probably a reluctance to try to, to, to potentially get out in front of things and have them be wrong or get out in front of things and be criticized. And we saw what happened with with acting White House chief of staff Mick Mulvaney, where he came out and and gave what I think is going to be pretty close to the ultimate defense here where we wind up Mm -hmm. and said, get over it. And then uh, was roundly criticized and suffered uh, probably some internal political damage at the White House. And so we haven't seen much of a defense at all, Mm -mm. but I don't think we should necessarily think that's because there won't be a factual defense. I think the White House is being smart because they don't know the facts in not kind of getting out ahead of, of things and, and being proven wrong. Mm-hmm. And number two, they they might be also being smart by saying that the place to offer the defense is not in the context of closed-door secret depositions mm-hmm. and maybe not in the context of a kind of a one-sided house investigation process, but later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pay attention to what goes on every day, but a lot of the American people are not paying attention. And so there's probably a, a balance. On the one hand, what you don't want to do is wait to present your defense until opinion is totally locked in tight. Yeah. On the other hand, you can keep your powder dry until people are really focused on it and then present your defense when, number one, you know more facts. And number two, it's going to be most effective. But on Schiff, mm-hmm. I said, I you know, I, I thought the first part of the investigation was very very good, you know, A. Uh, but I think Schiff and Pelosi have really botched the past couple of weeks, really botched the past couple of weeks. I think the vote that Pelosi took was uh, both unnecessary and a real disaster. The notion of taking a vote and not being able to get a single Republican on board and even losing two Democrats uh was was really bad. You, you know, you compare this it to This is the water- vote about going forward with impeachment. Yeah, this this was the vote about going forward with impeachment and adopting the process and procedure. Mm-hmm. You know, you compare it to Watergate, where by the time of that vote, the House voted overwhelmingly. I think they, they it, there were only four members who voted against going forward with an impeachment process. In Clinton... 31 members of the president's own party. And that was an incredibly partisan right. time and and very weak impeachment allegations. But 31 members of the president's own party voted to proceed with impeachment investigations. And the rules and processes were actually adopted unanimously. And so to yeah. 
Compare it to now. Okay. The rules and processes were adopted so that we can move to public hearings, right? Like everybody from Mueller to Pelosi has been trying to figure out how you enforce the law or enforce these procedures, but also play to the cameras, whether, you know, should one play to the cameras since Trump is always on camera? And I think she just wanted to move this stuff into the public. She knew that the procedures would pass and nobody noticed, including me, who voted and who didn't. We just know it got a majority and it's pushing. Oh, through. you know who noticed? You, All, Trump. Yeah. And Trump's base. And what we're going to be hearing mm-hmm. from now until the cows come home is what I think is actually a legitimate criticism of the process. What Pelosi could have done is just adopted the rules that were adopted in Nixon, and then the same exact rules were adopted unanimously in Clinton. Could have adopted those same rules, could mm-hmm. have, and should have, uh, mm-hmm. but she didn't. And and that wound up giving the Republicans a legitimate reason to say, you know what, this process is is one side. It's not fair. And, and and to just criticize the legitimacy of the process as a whole. I, I think it was a, a terrible move. Well, if they didn't pick up on that, they won't now because they don't listen to a Trump guest. But as usual, I also think you are a much better thinker than Trump's non-defense team, which, by the way, when you say he doesn't hasn't mounted much of a, fe- a, a defense um, uh, yet, he hasn't mounted or mustered up a a defense team, and it's not clear who would be on that. He's burned through so many people. Alan Dershowitz has his hands tied with this, uh, you know, sex Epstein thing. Um, and uh, Kazowitz has walked himself out. Cobb's gone. Dowd's gone. Emmett Flood, the only one I thought was brainy or really brainy, has gone. No one's approached you yet. Who else? Giuliani. Even Michael Cohen, man, that guy, he could have helped with his degree from Cooley. Nobody with any experience, who am I missing, well, is around you know that- to think of a defense. And okay, and and the, this two-part question and, and yeah, probably yeah, more of a point than a question, but You know, in trying to figure out what kind of case are they making, you could look to Lindsey Graham. You can look to the T-shirt to say, read the transcript, but you can look to Lindsey Graham, who all he can do is say, Gordon Sondland, some giant, giant donor to Trump, the one who recently recalled that there was quid pro quo, that he's a Democratic operative, that kind of thing. I mean, really, they were clutching at straws last time with their Strzok stuff, but this is pathetic, pathetic. And... Oh, here's another thing. He doesn't have Emmett Flood. He doesn't have you. He doesn't have Ty Cobb. And he does not have Bill Barr, right? As we learned last night, Trump approached Barr and asked him to, you know, do what he always does, suborn perjury from his own, who he perceives to be his own lawyers, and go say there's nothing there to the Ukraine thing, no quid pro quo or whatever he, he wants him to say now. And Barr for once said no. So I just don't think he has anyone anymore. Here's what I I think he's probably counting on. And we learned yesterday that he's bringing on the former attorney general of Florida, uh, Pam Bondi, to help Mm -hmm. out, at least on the communications front. Right. Well, that's why I say the PR optics interest him. Yeah. What what I think he's, he's counting on is the votes in the Senate, because right now the House is going to do their thing. And Mm -hmm. if they want to. Uh, the House Dems have the votes to impeach him. We know that. So the House is going to do their thing. But then if they actually do pull the trigger and impeach him, then things move to the Senate where it's flipped, 
where the Republicans hold a very, very comfortable majority Mm -hmm. and the Republicans make the rules. The Republicans decide what the trial looks like. The Republicans decide who, if anyone, testifies and the Republicans clearly have the votes to acquit him. Mm -hmm. And so I think Trump and his people probably aren't that worried right now about how all this plays out. And the other thing the the Senate Republicans do is they control the timing. They control how quickly or how slowly this is disposed of. Mm -hmm. And, And one thing I'll note on that front is Trump tweeted out today that Joe and Hunter Biden have to testify. And that's interesting because we know they're not going to testify. They're not going to be subpoenaed at the House level. But keep an eye on the Senate. Keep an eye on a push by Trump and his people. If this gets to the Senate to subpoena Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. And remember, the the first primaries and caucuses for Democrats come up in February, mm-hmm. not too far away. Mm-hmm. And, and And that is a point. That I think is not going to be lost on Nancy Pelosi and lots of other Democrats as they look at how this process moves along. And maybe Elizabeth Warren, too. She'll sort of notice that. <laughs> My guest has been Ross Garber, Trumpcast's favorite contrarian. He's also America's preeminent impeachment defense lawyer, and he teaches at Tulane. Thank you so much for being here, Ross. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's show. What'd you think? Come to Twitter. You can speak Latin to us, and we don't mind. I'm at page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. And why stop there? Head on over to slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus and become a Slate Plus member today. You can get that discount on the Women of Slate show. Today is your day. Members get all of Slate's podcasts ad-free for only $35 for the first year. And man, you get perks. So go to slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan and engineered by Merritt Jacob. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.